Okay, friends, the story begins. Page 45, bottom of the page. And now we're going to actually begin the Amida. We had two introductions to the Amida. We had our general introduction of what the Amida represents. Then the Amida itself has its own introduction. That one line verse, that one line meditation. God, open up my lips and may my mouth declare your praise. We described what that meditation is. We're now going to dive into the Amida itself. The Amida, I, I, I would like ourselves to view the Amida not just as requests and praises, which is what it is, but as a personal meditation. As a personal meditation to get us closer to where we need to be. And you'll soon see what I mean. Hold on to that thought. The structure of the Amida. Let's understand the structure. The Amida contains 19 blessings. It used to be 18, which is why it's referred to as the Shemona Esrei. But it contains 19 blessings, a series of 19 blessings. And the structure is 3, 12, 3. The first three blessings, page 45 up until well, middle of 47, right after the Kedusha. Those are the first three blessings. Those are blessings that praise God. Then you have 13 blessings that request various needs. Bless us with healing, with sustenance, with forgiveness, with redemption, etc. And then at the end, there's three blessings, starting on page something. <laughs> starting on page, in the middle of page 50 to 53. So three, 13, three, the first three blessings, praise God, the middle three, the middle 13, sorry, we request various needs. The last three, thank God. Why this structure? The sages understood this as the perfect fundraising technique. Before giving God your pitch, asking what you need, you got to sandwich it. First, praise God. Then ask for your needs. Then thank God. Then take three steps back. You're right. Get out of there before they, they change their mind. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Run out of that office. No, I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> take a look on. Let's, let's read through the first blessing. Because what I see here is a very powerful message. Bottom of 45. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, God of our fathers. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. The great and mighty, awesome God, exalted God, who bestows bountiful kindness, who creates all things, who remembers the piety of the patriarchs, and who in love brings a redeemer to their children's children for the sake of his name. Okay, the blessing hasn't yet concluded, and we'll talk about that soon. But we, we start off beseeching God and reminding him of our patriarchs. And this is a very powerful message in Judaism. Our greatness is not our own. But where we come from holds incredible uh, weight to our Jewish identity. 
however unworthy we may feel we are at times, which is not a good way to think of ourselves. But if we ever do feel that, remember that we're children of Abraham. And he bequeathed an incredible spiritual heritage to us. We're children of Isaac and Jacob. And they've bequeathed incredible spiritual heritage that we have ingrained in our soul. You know the joke where um kid says to his mom, where do we come from? You originally came from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who ultimately came from, you know, from Adam and Eve. They were created by God. How interesting. He says to his dad later on, where do we come from? Well, we started off as monkeys billions of years ago. Dad had a different way of thinking. And, you know, we evolved evolution. There was one monkey that was off. And eventually, you know, we became people. Because You know, and starts teaching about evolution and Darwinism. He goes back to the mom and says, um, <laughs> I'm confused. Dad's saying we're from monkeys. You're saying we're from Adam and Eve. Where are we from? So she says, your, your dad's talking about his side of the family. I'm talking about my side of the family. <laughs> um, where, where we come from and remembering where we come from and continuing that trajectory is so important. There's a great song by the Eighth Day, the band Eighth Day, called Avraham. you got to check it out on YouTube after this. And the line is, Avraham, are we... The children that you dreamed of. Are we that shining star that you saw at night? And God showed him in the stars. Look at the stars. You're going to be as numerous as the stars. Are we that shining star that God, that Abraham envisioned? We're reminding ourselves as well as God. We come from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But it goes a step further. Take a look at this. Go back to the second line. Bless, or first line, whatever. Blessed are you, Lord. Our God, God of our fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. There seems to be a lot of extra clauses here. I were the author. There's a good reason why I'm not. You'll soon see. But if I were the author, I would say let's condense this a little bit. God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I shortened it. Shouldn't we speak more succinctly? Why the extra verbiage? Instead of God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, just say God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob in the Hebrew. Instead of Elokei Avraham, God of Avraham, Elokei Yitzchak, God of Yitzchak, Elokei Yaakov, the God of Yaakov. Just say Elokei Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, the God of Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov. Why short, condense it, shorten it? See, here's what commentaries on the Siddur explain. You're going to like this. How did Avraham discover God? The Midrash tells us he was starting at three years old. He saw, you know, who uh, the sun, very strong. This must be the ultimate power. And the clouds were in the way. Maybe the clouds are the ultimate power. The clouds were pushed away by the wind. Maybe the wind is the ultimate power. 
The wind was blocked by the mountains and the trees made the mountains and the trees. Eventually, he realized there has to be an original something. Took him 40 years to get there, as Maimonides describes. But eventually, he, dis he, he discovered that there must be a God. There must be. And he finally got to meet God face to face. Got to speak with God. Fine. So Abraham is great. How did Isaac discover God? Same way we did. <laughs> we were born into it. <laughs> How did Jacob discover God? He was born into it. Indoctrinated. Abraham wasn't indoctrinated. Isaac was indoctrinated. Jacob was indoctrinated. The message of the sitter here is no, 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 no. They're not indoctrinated. It's the God of Abraham. It's his God. He discovered him. It's also the God of Isaac and Jacob. Even though they were born into it, they were not indoctrinated. They discovered it on their own as well. They still use their minds. They still thought about it. And this is reminding us to think about it. Our relationship with God. There's this balance. On the one hand, we have tradition. And tradition is very important. Tradition is crucial. On the other hand, we have to make it our own. It has to become ours. Just like it was the God of Yitzchak, just like it was the God of Avraham, Yitzchak had to rediscover on his own. We have to rediscover. Don't just take it for granted. We have to get to know God on a very personal level. This is what the Amida is empowering us to do. Rabbi Shlomo ben Aderet, known by his acronym, the Rashba, was one of the Sephardic sages of the medieval ages. Just to give historical context around the same, more or less, era, post-Hamudic era, same, around the same time as Rashi, the Rambam, Maimonides. And Rabbi Shlomo ben Aderet says something interesting. The first three blessings... They're considered like one blessing. Um, the first three blessings actually correspond to the three patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So blessing number one ends on page 46. Do you see it? Uh, top line? Not in the shaded box, but right under the shaded box. O king, you are a helper, a savior, a shield. Blessed are you, Lord, shield of Abraham. Right? In the Hebrew, Melech Ozer. Melech Ozer, Moshiach, Umagain. Right? You remember that? King, helper, savior, he's the shield. Baruch Atah Hashem, blessed are you, Lord. Magain Avraham. You're the shield of Abraham. So that's the conclusion of the first blessing. That corresponds to Abraham. What does Abraham represent? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, respectively, represent kindness, discipline, truth. If you remember, we spoke about uh, several weeks ago, probably four weeks ago, we spoke about truth, how Jacob represented truth. There was a certain consistency in his life, despite the ups and downs. 
similar to his son, Yosef, who reflected that as well. He had ups and downs in his life. He even lived in Egypt, but still reflected that truth. Avraham represents chesed, kindness. He was the epitome of kindness to the point that the Midrash says that when Avraham was born, kindness started complaining to God. <laughs> the existence of kindness, whatever that means, uh, but the existence of kindness started complaining to God, hey, there's some competition putting me out of business here. Avraham had this four-door tent, welcomed guests, no matter what. Even if they looked like Arab idolaters, little did he know they were angels, he was welcoming them into his home. But where does this term, the shield of Avraham, come from? God is the shield of Avraham. Like much of the Amida, bits and pieces are borrowed from quotes throughout Tanakh. Uh, sometimes they're cited if it's a direct quote, sometimes not if it's not a direct quote. The shield of Avraham, where in the Torah is God referred to as the shield of Avraham? Avraham waged, uh, was, it, was it part of an important battle between the four kings versus the five kings back in, in Canaan or in Haran. Avraham was victorious over this battle. In addition to that, given his extreme position in monotheism, that there's a God and that we matter to God, King Nimrod wanted to throw him in the fire. Have you heard this story? It's not directly in the Torah. It's in the Midrash. King Nimrod wanted to throw Avraham in the fire because you're rebelling. You're saying there's one God, but uh, I'm one of those gods. <laughs> so there can't be, uh, there's got to be more than one. So Nimrod wanted to throw Avraham in the fire. He said, deny this God or I throw you in the fire. And Avraham says, like, I don't deny truth. It doesn't work that way. They throw him in the fire and he miraculously walks out unharmed. Nimrod was flabbergasted, but Avraham was saved. And there's many, many more miracles and tests and, 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 and things that Avraham went through. And at the end, God decides, I'm going to make a covenant with Avraham. This is where he introduced that I'm going to take your children to the land of Israel. Your children are going to be numerous. But before that process starts, they're going to be slaves in Egypt. There's going to be an incredible degradation of the Hebrew nation, but it's going to lead to an incredible maturation of the Jewish people. Like seeds, they got to go into the earth but they're going to sprout and become incredibly strong and powerful like the dust of the earth, like the sand, like the stars. And says God to Avraham, I'm going to be your shield. I will be your shield. After everything you've gone through, I'm your shield. You're good. And there are numerous commentaries on this section of the Torah trying to explain what that means. Why does God need to assure to Avraham, I am your shield? The way Rashi interprets it, you're going to get rewarded. Well, here's an explanation I just read today. And I, 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 I see this as a powerful meditation. I really do. This was by Rabbi Yeshayahu Horowitz, known as the Shalah a Kabbalist and philosopher of the 15th or 16th century. And here's what he explains. Avraham, 
although he represented kindness, Abraham also represented altruism. Why did he risk himself for God? Why was he so committed to God? It certainly wasn't because it was convenient. Were any of his tests convenient? His life was certainly not more convenient once he discovered God. So why did he bring this upon himself? Why couldn't he just follow his father's idols are, are us business, make a good living, be peaceful, be happy. Everybody's happy with what you're doing. Why, he was a man of kindness. Why couldn't he just be easygoing? Why was he so extreme in his views? Because he wasn't after convenience. He wasn't even after meaning. He was looking for truth. And when you find truth, it often is inconvenient, but it doesn't change. And whether you whether uh, whether you like gravity or not, it's there. <laughs> whether you like God or not, it's there. And when he discovered God, it's there. This is the reality. It's going to be better in the long run. It may be difficult at the beginning. But I'm not doing it because it's meaningful. What happens when we do things because it's meaningful? How long does that last? <laughs> as long as we feel that it's meaningful. What happens when we feel oh, it's no longer meaningful? Look at the Jews at Mount Sinai. How long did their inspiration last when God appeared to them and said, I am the Lord your God? Two weeks later, sin of the golden calf, they cheated on God. What happens when our Judaism is about meaning? It should be meaningful. Please don't get me wrong. Please, don't walk away thinking, no, no, we it must be meaningful. But what happens when it centers around being meaningful, when it's dependent on the meaning? That could be very dangerous. And that wasn't the case for Avraham. He was altruistic. The truth is true because it's true. And that's it. And God says, I love the attitude. I'm going to be your shield. I got your back. I'm going to ensure that you'll benefit from this as well. That you're going to explore not just the truth, but you're going to see the meaning in it. Magen Avraham. God is the shield of Avraham. When we, this is the meditation. When you say these words, while I'm exemplifying the trait of Avraham, to follow the truth because it's true, not just because it's convenient, God is the shield of Avraham. God is going to shield us. He's going to protect us. He's going to make sure we find the meaning and reap the benefits. Precisely because our focus is not the benefits. That's blessing number one. Meditation number one. Questions, comments, thoughts, reflections? Controversy? No, no controversy. Okay. Blessing number two begins on, um, again, 46. Atagi Bor, you are mighty forever. It ends in the bottom of the page. That's blessing number two. The blessing of, the theme of the blessing is the revival of the dead. The resurrection of the dead. Let's read through it real quickly. Just in the English. You are mighty forever, my Lord. You resurrect the dead. You are powerful to save. 
he causes dew to descend, or in the winter, he causes the wind to blow and the rain to fall. Depending on the season, we switch back and forth. Mechal Kelchaim Bechesed, he sustains the living with loving kindness, resurrects the dead with great mercy, supports the falling, heals the sick, releases the bound, and fulfills his trust to those who sleep in the dust. Who is like you, mighty one? And who could be compared to you, king? Who brings death and restores life? Who causes deliverance to spring forth? You are trustworthy to revive the dead. Blessed are you, Lord, who revives the dead. Okay, a lot about re dead revival. This corresponds to Isaac, to Yitzchak. The Midrash says that when Abraham uh, performed the task of the binding of Yitzchak, where he was supposed to offer Yitzchak as a sacrifice, the angel came and said, don't do it. It was a test. You've passed the test. We've had a class on that, remember? A while ago, probably over a year ago. The Midrash says that at that point, Abraham pulls out a knife and Isaac goes, whoa, you're serious. <laughs> and he and he actually he actually died, expired from the shock. God revived him. Revival of the dead. What introduced the revival of the dead was both Abraham and Isaac's cooperation participation, and faith. We pray at this point that there's going to be a time in history where there's going to be a revival of the dead. This is actually foundational to Judaism. When Mashiach comes, all of our loved ones are going to rejoin us, are going to come back. Maimonides enumerates 13 principles of Jewish faith, 13 foundational beliefs in Judaism. Belief in God, belief in the Torah, belief in prophecy, belief in the Mashiach, belief in the resurrection of the dead that's going to be coming, is, Maimonides says, is foundational to Judaism. Now, why that's foundational and why does it not secular? Okay, separate discussion for a, separate, uh, a different time. But this is all represented by the strength of Yitzchak, the strength of Isaac. This is also a deep personal meditation. Take a look at the middle of 46, where it says he sustains the living with loving kindness. Do you see it? He sustains the living with loving kindness, resurrects the dead with great mercy. There's times where we feel spiritually dead. We feel like we're dried out. We feel like we're burnt out. There's nothing in us anymore. Not feeling it. I'm not connecting. Well, God can resurrect us, even if we're spiritually dead. He supports the falling. I've spiritually fallen. I don't feel as connected as I once did. I'm falling off the wagon here. I'm not. God will support us. Heals the sick. Sometimes we're not connecting to our soul and to our Judaism, and there's inner tension. We literally feel sick. That will get you sick, by the way. It will. <laughs> if we're not connecting to our Judaism as Jews, it will get us sick. Releases the bound. Freedom. 
true freedom. We spoke about this a little uh, a few weeks ago. True freedom is connecting to who we're supposed to be. And materializing who we're supposed to be. And if not, we're tied up. But God will resurrect us. God will support us. God will heal us. God will release us. And fulfill trust to those who sleep in the dust. There's times where we feel like we're just buried in earth and we're, we're, we're dried out. We're done. How do we do this? How do we get waking up? Take a look at the Hebrew. I like the Hebrew better. I'm going to read through the, this in the Hebrew because it's going to make more sense in the Hebrew. From Mechal Kachayim Bechesed. Do you see it? Mechal Kachayim Bechesed. God sustains life, Chaim, with kindness. Mechayim Etim resurrects the dead, Barachamim Rabim, with great mercy. So Mech, he supports Noflim, those who have fallen. Verofecholim, he heals those who are sick. Umatir, he releases. Asurim, those who are bound. Umekayim, he fulfills. Emunato. What is Emunato? The word imuna. He faithfully believe. fulfills. Sorry? Um, no, I just said belief. Belief, right? Mm -hmm. With belief, he'll fulfill Lishene Afar for those who are sleeping in the earth. If we're sleeping in the earth and we feel we're spiritually dead, what we need is belief. We need faith. The Talmud says, we, we learned this in chapter 33 of Tanya. So this may ring a bell that, um, you know, there's a lot of mitzvahs. <laughs> Give you a list of 613 things you need to do or not do. And each one has myriads and myriads of details and how they're performed. It could be very overwhelming. So the, the Talmud says that the prophet Chavakuk came and said, well, the reason why you're overwhelmed is because you're looking at it as 613 mitzvahs, but you really need to look at it as all one mitzvah, performed in 613 different ways. What is that one mitzvah? Faith. There's one mitzvah, not 613. There's the mitzvah of faith, of connecting and believing and, and, and igniting that fire. There's 613 different ways to express it. And what is the biblical verse that Chavakuk, uh, what, what is the verse that's quoted to, to indicate this? Tzadik be'emunato yichyeh. A righteous person with faith becomes alive. When we have faith, when we spark our belief, when we're fired up by it with our belief, we become resurrected. We become alive. We were once spiritually dead, spiritually demotivated, spiritually uninterested. Everything feels heavy. We feel like we're sleeping in the earth. Our head is buried in the sand. I'm just going through the motions, if anything. But if we can wake up our faith by going through these meditations, realize that God can wake us up because we have that soul within us that never really died in the first place. Blessing number two. Okay, before we move to number three, any questions, comments, thoughts, reflections? We'll recap the meditations at the end, yeah? Okay. At this point, 
If you're davening by yourself, you recite the third blessing, middle of page 47, which corresponds to Yaakov. The blessing of Kadosh. Ata Kadosh, you are holy. God is holy. Corresponding to Yaakov. Yaakov is the trait of truth. If there's a minion, this blessing is preceded by the Kedusha. What is this Kedusha doing here? What is Kedusha? At this point in the gray box, we stand with our feet together. We say, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. We replicate the praises that the angels offer to God. That's why we stand with our feet together, because at that point, because that's how the angels stand. And we say, Kadosh, 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 holy, holy, holy. Are the angels, are, are, are the praises that the angels offer to God. Envision the angels actually praising God when reciting this. But then what do we say right afterward? I'm going to go to the third blessing. It's the middle of page 47, right under the shaded box. You are holy, your name is holy, and holy beings praise you daily for all eternity. Blessed are you, Lord, the Holy King, the Holy God. The angels have their version of how they praise you that we just replicated. But holy beings, referring to a Jewish neshama, praise you daily. Constantly. For all eternity. It's more consistent. A Jew's praise is very different than that of an angel's. You know what the proof is? How aware of we are, how aware of we are, ugh, tongue twister, how, <laughs> how aware are we, there we go, how aware are we, uh, we'll have to edit this out, how aware are we of our neshama, of our souls, right, if I speak for myself, I know I have a soul and I learn about it, but by default, I feel like a body that has a soul, and I'm still praising God. Not because I understand God, but because I know he's the truth. But contrast that to an angel. Why are the angels praising God? Because they understand God. What if they didn't understand God? Would they still praise God? Would they still believe if they didn't see? We don't see. We still have this incredible faith. Angels do see, but do they believe because they see? Is that the only reason why they're believing? Because they're infatuated with God? Because they saw him? Well, we believe even when we don't see God. The Kabbalists explain, well, how did God create the world? Speech, right? God said, let there be light. There was light. But how was the neshama created? Okay, it was ultimately blown. That The soul of Adam was blown into him. But it came from the mind. It came from the thought. The world was spoken, but the soul was thought of. And angels were spoken as well, because they're a part of creation. What is the difference between speech and thought? Again, the soul, the angels are created through speech. 
A soul is created through thought. God spoke about the angels. They've existed. God thought about the soul. It existed. There's a profound difference. And if you meditate and think about this, it's going to give incredible perspective into the potential that a soul has, the consistency that a soul has. So number one, speech is external. You speak for other people, not for yourself. You think for yourself, not for other people. So an angel is more external. A soul, which is thought of, is more internal. In other words, your relationship with what you think of is much more intimate than your relationship with what you say. I'm going to say that again. The relationship you have with what you think of, with your thoughts, are a lot more personal and intimate than the relationship you have with what you say. In fact, you're able to stop speaking. You're not really able to stop thinking. Right? An angel that comes from speech can theoretically stop praising God because it's praising God because it understands God. A soul comes from thought. You can't stop thinking. A soul can never stop praising God. Even when it comes to this physical world, planted into a physical body, losing its spiritual insight, it still praises God. It still feels connected. It still says, you are holy, your name is holy, and holy beings praise you daily for all eternity. For all eternity, we're praising God in contrast to the angels. Because our praise is not about our experience. It's a deeper part of who we are. It's ingrained in who we are. Okay, let's recap the meditations, yeah? The meditation, the theme of the first blessing, corresponding to Abraham. God is the shield of Abraham. Because of Abraham's altruism, God protects this and is going to protect him to make sure that he gets the, the full uh, benefit and convenience, if you will, of connecting to God because his connection was not about benefits, but about the truth. When we connect to God because he's true, not just because it's convenient or meaningful, God protects us. God preserves that. God preserves the meaning. Number two, the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of this feeling of death inside, of this feeling of, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling spiritually connected. I'm feeling the body more than the soul. Through faith, we can reinvigorate ourselves. We can resurrect that death. We can bring out that spark of life. Meditation number three. After reciting the Kedusha, the praises that the angels offer to God, we say that we, holy beings, referring to souls, pray God for all eternity. We're more consistent. Our praises are not defined by what we've experienced not dependent on our experiences, on our inspiration. But it's a connection to reality that we have, a connection to God that we have that is independent of the experience. Even when we don't experience inspiration, we're here in a physical body, in a physical, we still can proclaim that God is holy. Okay, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. 